0: Sometimes you just need to touch grass, literally and figuratively. And we recommend you bring books. Tell the bibliologists set Tailored Book Recommendations about what you love and what you don't and what you want to read this summer on your outdoor adventures. You can get your recommendations via email or receive hardcovers in the mail. And TBR has plans for every budget. This summer, touch grass. And bring books. You pack the bags. We pick the books. Visit mytbr.co to sign up today. It only takes a few minutes. That's mytbr.co.
1: This is the Book Riot podcast. It's a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. Today is Thursday, September twenty eighth, twenty twenty three. Jeff O'Neill here with Rebecca Shinsky. Coming to you from my basement, I'm in week eight of a three-week <laughs> bathroom renovation right now. Oh, yeah, that's how that um,
2: goes. Mm-hmm. A yeah.
1: lot, lot more sawing today, which I welcome because that means something's happening. Sawing, sawing <laughs> means things are happening. For good a sign fail. of
2: progress. Yeah. A
1: sign of progress. A sound of progress. Mm-hmm. If you will, it's been a busy week here, um, programming reminders and updates. Um, if you like what we do on this show, you probably would like the book ripe podcast patreon link in the show notes patreon.com slash podcast what we do last week i can't even remember now we did something last we book
2: clubs the news 80 smith last week oh we
1: talked about the fraud that's right had a very very enlightening and enjoyable conversation they're enlightening to me it i don't was know great. it'd be like for everybody else um today we're recording and will be released next week we are power ranking the last 10 winners of the national book award in fiction which i've got to tell you is not easy to do. No. Um pretty fun though. Uh, I also went down the rabbit hole a little bit of just the historical winners of the National Book Award one nugget. <laughs> Is there used to be a paperback award? Did you see this? This oh, was like in the 70s no. for like a four-year period there was like a hardcover and a paperback award?
2: Interesting. I did not Very go that strange. far down the rabbit hole, no.
1: I don't I didn't read the rationale, though I kind of liked it because one of the winners of the paperback award was The World According to Garp, which, you know, mm. a, a classic, you know, late yes. 20th century work. And it kind of felt like the idea was the paperback. Like, oops, we missed it, right? We didn't get the <laughs> we didn't get the didn't get to the award for the hardback, but we can go kind of catch a mistake if we made an egregious one by giving I like the paperback that. award.
2: Like, we'd uh, like to issue a correction. Here we go. Yeah, uh,
1: one of the podcasts you and I listened to, The Ringer. I, I don't know if it was they originated but this idea of every ten years you should go back and redo the awards that got, were given mm. out for movies. Mm-hmm. And I think with books, it would be an interesting conversation to have it to maybe we could mine that for a okay let's go back 10 years and get 2013 right for all the awards yeah
2: i did a little of that in my prep for national book awards power ranking what else was nominated those years and Uh, how do we feel about who ended up winning okay well we'll have plenty to talk about
1: (laughs) so go check that out check out first edition i talked to a couple of the behind the scenes people at red tower books um who who are responsible for produced published Fourth Wing by Rebecca Yaros, which is, I, I think it's unequivocally, the bookish phenomenon of the year in terms of a single mm-hmm. title. Um, learned a lot about that. That's on first edition. You can hear that. Also, we're getting into the fall season, and you might be thinking about buying books, and you might be thinking about reading books. So Book Riot's own TBR book recommendation service. Romance, creepy reads, modern classics, whatever you like, TBR can help you find the book's for your reading, and it gets curated to your reading taste, so you tell us, us being the the royal us, the, the, the corporate, <laughs> the Borg us of Book Riot and our associated properties, what you want. And we have real humans. This ain't AI. Go look, ask, research, find out, and write about why those books are right for you. Only takes a few minutes to sign up. Go to mytbr.co, link in those show notes, bookwrite.com not, listen, or If you're like a person that remembers URLs sit on podcasts, it's mytbr.co. So go check that out there.
2: What must that be like, being a person who remembers URLs from podcasts?
1: I don't. my, My podcast listening has whittled down to like a six or seven show rotation. And it's hard for me to break out of it. And sometimes I do. And in those shows that I listen to, the days of the use offer code X to get 30% off, I don't hear that as much anymore. Do you, that's Rebecca, true. in your podcasting life?
2: No, not mm-hmm. nearly as often. Yeah, more often is the is still the URL, the like yeah. url.com slash whatever the name of the show is to get the discount. But I I mean, we all know nobody's remembering that. Th-
1: that's a, that thing that has changed, we don't do that in, anymore ourselves. Um, it's interesting to watch the industry grow up, but speaking of podcast ads, uh, let's take our, our first break here and get into the news of the week.
0: Sometimes you just need to touch grass, literally and figuratively, and we recommend you bring books. Tell the bibliologists set tailored book recommendations about what you love and what you don't and what you want to read this summer on your outdoor adventures. You can get your recommendations via email or receive hardcovers in the mail. And TBR has plans for every budget. This summer, touch grass and bring books. You pack the bags, we pick the books. Visit mytbr.co to sign up today. It only takes a few minutes. That's (laughs) mytbr.co.
1: The first item on our docket this week is also a Book Riot partnered, Book Riot co-production um, with Every Library. A survey of parents about the perceptions, parent perceptions of book bans. Mm-hmm. The books and what should be allowed and what, how people are thinking and feeling. Um, very cool project that um, Every Library and, and Book I put together. You and I should say we had nothing to do with this except to say, well, that sounds like a cool idea, and other people here, <laughs> Kelly <laughs> right. and Danica and others, put actually put it together. You can find demographics, methodology. We haven't been to Methodology Corner for a while. This one's pretty strong, um, I would say, for something like this. I don't... Top-line findings, Rebecca. So I wrote about this a little bit in Yesterday's mm-hmm. Today in Books and pulled out a couple things I thought were interesting, but I will cede the floor to you for a moment. What did you take away, either on a on a meta level or, or general level or specific responses and percentages?
2: Yeah, there's, there is a lot of interesting stuff here. Most of it jives with what I would have guessed, like a super majority of people think that the book mm. banning stuff is a waste of time. Um, more than 50% say they're paying close attention to book bans when it comes to Local elections. Um, 74% agree or somewhat agree that book bans infringe on their rights to make decisions for their children, which I yeah. think maybe that is the most interesting number when you think about the way that the folks advocating for book bans are positioning it as a parent's rights issue. But in this sample that takes people from all across the political spectrum, three quarters of them actually think that the book ban. It goes against their parental rights that parents should be the ones making the decisions about what materials are appropriate for their kids. Um, uh, also, like a shockingly high percentage of people think that teens shouldn't have access to books related to that have Shocking. anything related any to sex age. until they're eighteen. Age. Like yes. for, for any at any point during you know actual childhood up to the age of eighteen, they they don't think kids should have access to books about that. Which uh, well. Uh, I, all I can do is make sounds about that. <laughs> like your know. children live in the world and have access to the internet and watch television, and books are probably the source of the most accurate information mm-hmm. they can get. Um, but there's a there is a lot here. On the whole, I found it encouraging. Like the big picture about what most people think about book bans is encouraging, especially going into an election cycle. Um, seeing so many people say that this is something that is top of mind for them, thinking about elections was really encouraging there are some individual findings that are major bummers like to put it mildly a much higher percentage of people than i would have guessed said that they didn't think kids should have any access to books that like acknowledge the existence of lgbtq people or that discuss issues related to race at all Mm -hmm. um I I think the answer to those questions should be 0% at all times, Um, but it was higher than I even would have just reasonably guessed. And it's easy to be discouraged, I think, by numbers like that. Those individual things are discouraging. Some of these issues are ongoing. This is an ongoing fight um, in our politics and in our culture. But the top message here, I think, is that at least when we're talking about, like, the places where we can be effective in this issue, when we talk about going to the polls or being involved in local politics, the vast majority of people are not on board with this stuff that it that the right is doing a pretty good job of making look like a lot of parents believe um, they are really really outnumbered um, so that's i think that's what i'm holding on to like you can talk to me again when we're in late september of 2024 and then the election is like five weeks away how do i feel about things then but right I now i will like, be this in a three-month
1: number. sensory deprivation chamber between oh, yeah. August and November, so you're going to have to talk to someone about that. Because...
2: <laughs> All right. We're just going to do um, Adaptation Nation episodes and book clubs right. for the That's entire right. fall next year. We will not be talking about <sighs> politics. That's a beautiful dream. Um, yeah, what did you take away? I saw your notes in today in books, but just in I case I folks...
1: wish the vast majority was vaster, Agreed. I guess, is what I'm saying about that. Um, it feels to me that there is sort of a 25 to 30% of people... Responding to the service or otherwise, that I think are out of their minds about this mm-hmm. stuff. It's mm-hmm. that's a bigger percent. Again, it is. You're right, supermajority, but it's still way more than feels even appropriate. I mean, it, there is no other side. I mean, I, 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 it's very hard for me to see other sides of this. Now, one, two, three, four, five percent people are weird, tails are long. I get that, but it, this is this is a this is a harder, firmer. Larger block, larger, even after 2016, I'm a naive dummy, Rebecca mm. Schensky, when mm-hmm. it comes down to it. That I still find stuff this like stuff like this surprising. So that that largely jives with my general sense of it. One bit that I thought was particularly interesting, and you guys, you and I have been covering even before this wave, we would talk about specific instances, mm-hmm. right? That felt more like, I guess, a lower baseline of nuttiness around this stuff. And it's been hard to know how much this wave has penetrated a more public consciousness because we've sort of been getting used to the water warming. And this says 50% of parents report being extremely aware or very aware of attempts to ban books nationwide, and only 7% being not aware at all. So this is in the public consciousness yeah. of parents in a way. Now, what is that number a year ago, two years ago? I don't know. Probably more people should be, but it's 50% are extremely that feels like a tipping point of some kind where Mm -hmm. more parents than not are aware of this stuff going on. And 40% of respondents think a book has been banned at their local library this year. So really only 10% of people who are very aware, extremely aware don't think their library is affected. So if you are aware of these, you basically think it's happening near you. And you know what? You are correct respondents. You are correct about what's happening there. Um, It is interesting to see that the support for access to books does the thing we have seen anecdotally, just in terms of looking at specific cases of, you know, social justice is the, you know, some, that's where it sort of begins, mm-hmm. but then, then support for book bannings and restrictions to access and really grows the closer and closer you get to LBGQ plus characters and topics, right? Yeah. Sort of passes through race through se- puberty and sexual education to LBGTQ+. Mm-hmm. And that is the funnel of prejudice that we've long seen, and it bear, it's borne out. And the tables yes. here show you in a very really kind of linear way. The younger you get and the closer to the plus, the more the support for banning solidifies. And it's pretty linear looking at the tables. It's very, very interesting. I, I don't know if I... I don't find it encouraging in so far as this is... Bad. I, what what is is affirming for me that my sense of it is is pretty accurate, if not totally precise.
2: Yeah, I think that's right. The LGBTQ issues have been the focus of the latest round of culture war, for lack of a better term. Mm-hmm. They're the flashpoint that the right has rallied around, especially especially trans issues where critical race theory and talk about you know educating kids about social justice and race were a big deal you know in the 2022 midterm elections and coming out of 2020 and the death of michael um oh my gosh i just blanked george floyd
1: george floyd yeah
2: (laughs) yeah you're gonna have to edit that and help me out um coming out of 2020 and the death of george floyd and that worked, like in some places in 2022, um, and in the 2020 midterms or 2020 election. Um, but it was not a long lasting rallying point. Um, this stuff around it's i think what we're seeing is that the right is finding it easier to scare parents with stories related to trans people and queer people especially their like current hobby horse about trans people and queer people as groomers that narrative does seem to be taking hold in some places grooming children for sexual abuse grooming children trying to turn them gay however it is you want to think about that um that seems to be working for them or it must, it's working enough that they're continuing to beat that drum and they're finding resonance for it among people who I suspect have always held that belief. Like, I don't know that the book banners are like converting anyone to their way of thinking, but there is, there is a like sadly large enough subsection of the American populace that believes this stuff Mm -hmm. um, that when someone wants to ban a book about it, they find support for it. But Uh, like the vast majority of people don't agree with that. Like here, one of the numbers is that 67% agree or somewhat agree that books about complex topics like race or sex belong in the library. The number falls when you're asked about LGBTQ books specifically, but it falls to 60%. So still a majority, but there is that 7% gap between general complex topics and issues around LGBTQ plus themes, Um, Mm -hmm. which not awesome. Um, i'm really trying to hold all of this in in two different ways of like there is still so much work to do here and the overall picture is that our understanding that this is a smaller group of americans who believe these things and are going to go along with these culture wars and are going to vote for the kinds of people um supporting them is it is small and the sense that that small has been right
1: and as you talked about recently on a show about, or we talked about recently on a show about, mm-hmm. you know, this will get turned around when people start losing elections, school boards and yes. other kinds of places. Like it shows you that in most, and again, in most districts, this is a losing issue if you're going to run for school board or governor or, mm-hmm. you know, state representative or, or something else like that. So maybe that's the ultimate finding. You know, it's, it's, it's not unlike the macro scale American demographic, you know, the thing, there's more of us than them. I think the thing that I'm still coming to term to is still like, but God, look how many of them there still Mm -hmm. are.
2: Um, Yeah, I think 2016 broke me (laughs) of being surprised by that. You know, my head and my heart, man. You Mm -hmm. know, my head
1: and my heart um, at the same time.
2: Yeah, it's interesting to think about how This does turn around when it stops working in elections like living in Virginia makes this interesting because Mm -hmm. Glenn Youngkin won our governor's election largely on a parental rights platform talking a lot about critical race theory. In Virginia you can't be the governor for two consecutive terms in a row so he can't run for re-election uh, into that position and he's clearly not interested in running for president but we are not seeing um, a potential new republican candidates for the next round of elections latching on to that argument like I think that worked in a very specific coming out of covid way coming out of 2020 way and is not likely to be successful in a purple state like this one what's happening in the red states is an entirely Really different story.
1: Yeah. Um, speaking of data, um, Alex riser in The Atlantic. Um, this has been a story that that's The Atlantic and and Alex have been tracking for the summer, um, mm-hmm. specifically around this LLM AI model called Books Three that Meta. Um, the artist formerly known as Facebook, and I think it's helpful to remember this is Facebook. I think yes. the meta thing that meta trying to do is, help, is trying to hand wave us and forget that this is Facebook and Zuckerberg and everything that comes along with that, um, described how this data set, and I guess that's what it really is. There's a data set, and then there's the algorithm that runs on top of it. But the data set is called Books 3. And it was based on a collection of pirated eBooks. I've got some questions about word choice, but I'm going to come back to there in a minute. Um, published in the last twenty years were fed, you know, collected, put into the 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 thing, the hopper, mm-hmm. and the next piece of the puzzle to fall. And I think it really interesting data journalism, interesting content structure yes. here, where The Atlantic and Alex put together a searchable database where you can put in an author name and it'll spit out which books by that author are included in this data set. And the reason they could do they could do this. Because the ISBNs are within the text of the books that Meta included. Mm-hmm. I wonder if they're rethinking that. I don't know if they could have done something else because if they didn't, then no one would know. And Right. Interesting. I've got a lot of questions about the TikTok of how this was put together. How did Alex Reiser get the list of books that were put in there? He said, just says, I acquired this. And I'm my, I was like, that <laughs> passive voice? I'm like, passive voice and a reported piece about an information leak. <laughs> 183,000... Yeah, sorry, go
2: ahead. Oh, I say, there's been a lot of, I acquired this in his coverage of these things. Yeah. Like, someone is... He, someone he's clearly got them. sources, and they yeah. are on, like, deep background.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, there were 191,000 titles identified. That doesn't mean that's all of them. It doesn't mean it's representative, just that's how it's put here. Um, and 183,000 of those have associated author information. So only, like, 10,000 of it doesn't have an author associated mm-hmm. with it. And the thing that happens is, interestingly happens, in the headline I wrote for Today in Books, where this was the lead story for that day, is authors are as mad as they've ever been, or authors angers at an all-time high, yeah. and it's not hard to understand why. Um, because Lauren Groff, and uh, let's see, I say, I'm just trying to think of, oh, no, mm-hmm. Keith Lemon I saw, um, uh, Rebe- Rebecca Mackay, Minjin Lee, Celeste Ang. Uh, Matt Haig, uh, Jeff Vandermeer, Patrick. Ne- I mean, I'm just listing high-ish profile people. Getting re- looking and saying, Oh my God! Ten of my books are in here. I didn't give permission. They stole this. This is this is terrible. Yeah. Several interesting things to say about this. One is I can certainly understand that. Do- definitely would my my own take on this is a little bit middle of the road. We don't know what the law is here. It could very well be that the courts decide, and I would imagine this kind of thing is going to end up at the Supreme Court because it's oh, a yes. mess mm-hmm. about what isn't in is and isn't fair use when it comes to copyrighted text. I texted a friend of mine after this story broke that works in um, copyright and intellectual property. And I cannot say the text she wrote back to me on air because it would violate <laughs> <laughs> Apple's terms for what makes for a non-explicit content. But this is very much undecided legal territory. On the author side, most of the authors are saying they're calling this theft. Um, they're using language that not my permission and stealing. Mm-hmm. And they might be right, but I just don't know that it's, they are. And I think that makes I, it almost harder to deal with. At it does. Point.
2: It's There's two arrows here, or like two right. wrongs that have been done, if you're making the case that wrongs have been done. And the first was that these books were uploaded into this books three data set, which wasn't, just to like do a, a brief correction, wasn't Sorry. created by Meta. It was created by an AI developer named Sean Presser, and then Meta and Bloomberg and a bunch of ah, the AI right. platforms have yes. used it. Sorry, so, my mistake.
1: That's an important distinction. Thank
2: uh, you. Yeah. So Sean Presser, a- AI developer, creates this database it, it has existed for years mm-hmm. if anybody pirated the books it's the person who created the database of copyright material that database already exists so then you get to the second order question of okay if the database was created like in an illegal fashion are Meta and OpenAI and Bloomberg and everybody else also doing something illegal by using that database, Like, which the closest analogy I can get to is like, if somebody else steals the car and then later you go for a ride in it or like you use it for something, are you also committing the crime? And I don't think that we have clear legal stuff to sort this out. I think that as your friend said in the unrepeatable text, it's a really big mess. It's and a really big mess. The like author anger I get and that it's pointed at these AI companies because they're the ones using it who stand to potentially profit a great deal. The profit motive for these AI companies is enormous. I understand authors pointing their anger at that. But it seems to me like that's either the wrong giant to be throwing your stones at, or you need to also throw them at the person or the group of people that created the database in the first place, who pirated this material in the first place and made it widely available. Like there are two battles potentially to fight here. And we don't know, like we just, we don't know. I think I'm finding myself in, and in the like, you know we we don't know if it's going to be effective for authors to send letters to these companies saying you don't have my permission because we don't know what kind of legal research and clearance those AI companies did in advance to figure out if they did any to figure out like are we going to be in trouble if we use these or or not Um, also how they're being used or how they might Mm -hmm. be used i thought you raised a great question in today in books like is there a difference if to use the lauren groff example if lauren groff's books are just uploaded into ai for like general purposes of training an AI or if they're then used to like have an AI produce a book that's like Lauren Groff in the style of Lauren Groff that might compete with Lauren Groff or, Mm -hmm. you know, take dollars out of her pocket or opportunities away from her in the future. And those are really different situations. Maybe they're both bad. Maybe one is a lot worse than the other. We don't have any kind of legal, like we're still trying to figure out how to make laws around social media that has existed for 20 years. (laughs) You know, know. like the Senate still does not understand how Facebook works. So thinking that there's a quick legal solution or like a direct, not even quick, but a direct legal path to a solution here, I think would be a mistake. And I have this, it's only a feeling and I want to acknowledge that, but I have this feeling that Like the anger and frustration about this is maybe misplaced or misdirected that publishers can take action in the future around this stuff. I hope authors are doing a lot of work there, you know, like notably, and it's interesting to think about this week. Since the Writers Guild got a deal with the Hollywood studios, finally, authors have the Authors Guild, but that's like, it's an advocacy group. It's not a union. Authors don't have a mode of collective bargaining in the way that Hollywood writers have and in the way that members of other industries have. And I think if we're going to have any sort of real movement here, it has to be something more than a bunch of individual authors writing individual letters to these AI companies. They're going to need to find a way to take collective action, probably even beyond Suing the folks who have already done the thing, but if you want to be protected in the future, collective action inside the industry and with the major publishers around yeah. how to protect and copy how to protect copyrighted materials from technology that no one anticipated when those materials went under copyright.
1: I think too. Um, one detail of this story, I think, has clouded in a way the more interesting and naughty thing because. Mm-hmm people are, lo- are latching on rightly from a legal point of view this idea that these ebooks were pirated but i don't think people would be cool if bloomberg had paid 10 bucks per ebook <laughs> through legal right. channels and then uploaded like that is, i think is a is a distraction from this particular and it's the more interesting question to me and the one that has to be figured out in the courts is it cool to put in copyrighted material in, feed it into an LLM and then do some things with it. And maybe you can't do all things, but to do anything with mm-hmm. it. And then what the nature of those things you can do are is a fascinating question. And it's, it, ex, it exceeds fair use. It exceeds copyright as we understand it because we don't have a mental model for what this no. is. Because we also haven't seen stuff get pumped out by these things that we can evaluate as kosher or not. That's something we understand. Right. So a lot of this is, I think, glomming on to stealing, because I guarantee you the authors that are really upset about this, and I don't begrudge them or think they're wrong, but they I don't think they'd feel 40% better if they knew that some, they got paid fourteen ninety-nine for their no. book that they spent six years writing. So right. this stealing idea is, I think, a distraction from the central question, because someone could do the same thing and... And scan a bunch of hardcover books that and, they bought that were and her
2: how her. do they? I think it's also interesting to think about like, is there a, a price that would make it acceptable? Is right. that a possible path forward? If the companies like, if the guy creating whatever the books for database, mm-hmm. the next one, if they've got to pay you twenty thousand dollars to put your book into, or, right. or or whatever, you know, would would authors agree to that? And mm. if they would, then we're talking about something that's not necessarily about principles. We're talking more about the profit though, motive, right? and that's fine. At
1: this point, I don't think they would. I think that's anyway. Maybe I'm wrong, but copyright that would be more like a patent, which is interesting, right? Because part of patent law, and again, I'm no expert here, is you have to make a reasonable accommodations for people to license the patent from you. With copyright, mm-hmm. you have to make no such reasonable accommodation. Right. You don't have to. You don't have to let people use it to make their own whatever. Um, yeah, but if be you much could, more of a model of that.
2: if you could tick a box on mm-hmm. your contract with your future publisher that says yeah. like yes I will allow this and you know you can put my book into future large language models mm-hmm. for this fee would they yeah. take it
1: yeah so again the law is 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 way behind Eric on Twitter as a literary agent um, a good follow uh, a an interesting follow it just talks about how like this is where tech companies move faster than the law and they can they can pick up quarters off the ground before people or dollars or manuscripts or livelihoods even before the law catches up. And that's very frustrating to do Um, because there's a world in which our best understanding of copyright and training LLMs. And I'm not saying you have to agree with this, but like that the courts decide and the law of the land still matters that you can put copyrighted material into LLMs and use it for some things. Maybe not arbitrarily useful for all things, but you can use it for something, and that's cool. That's very different than this is the work of the devil, and no one should be able right. to do this and everything else. There's a lot. There's more gray area here than people feel and acknowledge, and and frankly, are allowing room for. It. The Atlantic published a piece just yesterday by an author, kind of being like, ah, I don't know that I cared uh-huh. that much. Yeah, I
2: read that one too.
1: Right, and and there are there were re- reactions on Twitter to that person's account. Using language I frankly thought Mm -hmm. was inappropriate Mm -hmm. by writers you and I really like. Mm -hmm. And I don't know. I think Mm -hmm. I I just don't. It's not as simple. I know people's feelings are strong and simple, but it's complicated, man. We don't know.
2: And, you know, these models are trained on language. And so the written word is like the biggest source of data for these. And it makes sense to me that authors feel attacked, abused, however, you know, whatever language they want to put to it. But the ultimate uses of AI are so much bigger than trying yeah. to compete with to authors. To write a mid-list or, novel. Right. Like, it, this feels very much to me like independent bookstores believing mm-hmm. that Amazon is, like, purposefully trying to take them out of business. Yeah. You know, like, Amazon just wants to dominate and if independent bookstores fall by the wayside in the process that's a piece of collateral damage that amazon will accept but amazon is not sitting around thinking about independent bookstores and i think it's important to hang a lantern on that in this conversation like the people and companies creating these ai tools have like so much Bigger, like moonshot kind of uses for them Mm -hmm. in mind. They are unconcerned about right trying to compete with a mid-list novel. Now, someone might ultimately use the AI tools to do that, but it's not this is not going to be the big the big story of AI is not going to be like, oh, look what it did to fiction. Look Mm -hmm. what it did to writers. It's going to be so much bigger than that. So I'm a little concerned that we're missing the forest for the trees or only getting a little bit of the forest. Something's going on here where I think we need to remember that this is already about something much bigger than what happens to books. It's going to continue to be much bigger and even bigger, I think than any of us can really comprehend. And I'm seeing language, you know, from authors on Instagram of like, let's take these bots down. And I both understand the rallying cry and really like. I don't think we can say enough. Like, the no. toothpaste is not going in the tube. The bots are not going down. Like, this is technology that we have. That the law has to catch up to. Now we have to find ways to regulate it. Find ways to live with it. Find ways mm-hmm. to work with it. And we're going to need to, I think the faster that we accept that, the saner we will all feel and the more productive we can be in finding resolutions and finding ways to deal with these big, these are big, big questions. And we do need to deal with them, but making it so myopic. Um, and I understand why yeah. book people are focused on books, but I'm a little concerned that we're missing a bigger picture here.
1: And not for nothing, for those of you might be thinking, well, well, Jeff, this is not your livelihood being attacked. I- not for nothing. I've written more than a thousand posts um, <laughs> right. on bookriot.com. Same. And I guarantee you those have been slurped up into these things. And that publicly available podcasting has been downloaded. I mean, mm-hmm. if all I'm sure those things either have happened or will happen. And I would very much prefer not to be a part of these things. I am not sure now that I have a legal leg to stand on necessarily. I would like there to be the case. Right. I also think it's appropriate for people not to be sure about this without being, frankly, attacked a little bit, right? If you if you're like cool, I guess that's fine for yeah, you. And this particular Atlantic piece I thought was pretty middle of the road, it was mostly really about this measured. person's feelings. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I I didn't get it. This um, is, I really didn't get the the ad hominems that yeah. immediately sprung I'm, up around it. I'm
2: going to step on front list foyer a little bit, but I read yeah. Do- uh, Doppelganger by Naomi Klein this week mm. and. The book is largely, like, it's, you know, ostensibly about her dealing with often being mistaken for Naomi Wolf, who started as a pretty similar, like, leftist feminist writer and then went way down a right-wing rabbit hole. But it's really about rhetoric and political communication mm. and how how does the rabbit hole get constructed or she talks about it as the mirror world like this world that naomi wolf has fallen into that's filled with like steve bannon and tucker carlson and QAnon. how do people end up there and how is the rhetoric from progressives how does that contribute to the construction mm. of the mirror world and one of the most powerful arguments that she makes and she's not the first one to make it. And I hope other people continue talking about it and making it is that when we like on the progressive side or on when people on one side of an argument are immediately ready to censure anybody who's not a hundred percent in on their argument and expressing it in the, like the quote unquote, the right language that they express it in gets taken down. And that kind of behavior undermines like the righteous hill you're trying to stand on Mm -hmm. like okay this com- these AI companies might have done something wrong by taking authors' mate- by using authors' material to train their large language models. They might have that we have to figure this out legally. But like, you've lost a lot of standing for any kind of righteous argument if your response to someone who like is just trying to think through something and you know express confusion and like I thought they asked th- that piece in the Atlantic asked like really reasonable questions and provided a very reasonable basis for like here's why I just don't know if i should be that worked up about it and the response was so like those responses are so vociferous and so inappropriate and like unkind and dangerous in some ways Mm. like that just i think completely negates any standing that you have and it is not the like that's just not the way that i want humans to behave but it's really not the way that like if we're trying to present books as something that are good and sacred and yeah. need to be protected that's not the way that authors need to be going about that like that's it's not okay when people on the right behave in that way and are awful mm. to people online and it's equally not okay for people on any other part of the political spectrum to do it that was really appalling to see yeah and
1: in the in the, the register matching was out of scale because i thought the piece and i'll link to the piece in the show notes i'm not going to link to the responses yeah. because she just doesn't no. trust us those are out there it wasn't like his his thinking was proscriptive, saying all these people should be wrong. There were some wonderings and critiques of yeah. specific language, but it wasn't like, you know what, we should all just be fine and plug ourselves into the matrix. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't it was like, give yourselves what over What am I trying robots. to care about yeah. this? Do I care personally about this? Um, you know, and there is a there is a, I don't even know what you would call it. maybe Maybe it's not cognitive dissonance, but there is a cognitive assonance in this regard, which is the more people are upset, afraid, and vitriolic about this particular, suggests to me the more they believe these things can do what they do. Mm-hmm. Because if they didn't, you wouldn't be like, what's the problem here? Right. right? If you if you really don't believe that um, this is going to be able to turn out, you know, what are these things going to be able to turn out something that looks and, lo- and walks like the duck that is Gilead by Marilyn Robinson to go one of our favorites, then you don't care as much, I don't think. Or uh, you care about something different than what I'm understanding. Mm-hmm. And... I think I, I, am, I have no such solace. There are some people who say it can't do what humans do. I don't know that that's going to be true. I really don't know that's going to be true. That's not rhetorical. I just don't know what the outcomes are going to be on certain time, my lifetime horizons to keep it somewhat bounded. And I think that uncertainty creates a lot of fear and anger in people because we don't know what we are fighting for or against here. Is this a nothing burger or is this this coming singularity that Ray Kurzweil has warned against since, you know, 1975? We just don't know where it Mm -hmm. is and we don't know what can be done about it. And that is hard to live with. I I am very much in that place. I would love to be able to say, actually, this thing can write books that publishers – and forget about legacy publishers. Forget (laughs) about what PRH is going to do because that won't matter if these things really can make a book – That sells as well as the fourth wing, excuse me, not the fourth wing, fourth wing or lessons in chemistry or demon copperhead, because some publisher will do it if they can, that will, someone will try.
2: Or people and, will self-publish and, you know, it'll be. Right,
1: exactly. And so I get I get the uncertainty and I get, I think solidarity and unionizing mm-hmm. or what can be done to present a united front and lobby because the law is not abstract and objective. Like it is created by forces. And one thing right. that is unfair is that tech companies have so much money um, and the influence of money on politics—you uh, don't have to look farther than New Jersey to see how this happens. I don't know that Meta's throwing around gold bars, um, <laughs> but you know, de facto, the effects are similar. And that part is infuriating. Yeah. That part is, is is enraging because there's a there's there's a discussion in a in a cultural thinking to be done around what language means, what work means, what the value and what appropriate uses of those are. But that is that is to be determined in a way that hasn't been done yet, and unfortunately, the unfortunately, it's a compromised process. But there is still a process mm-hmm. to how these things. Yeah,
2: happen. uncertainty is really hard. It just is. It's
1: very hard.
2: Humans are terrible at it, and you know, all of us, we're all just terrible at dealing with uncertainty. It's really difficult, and the uncertainty of how this works, of how it can work in the future, of what it will mean for people, is really scary. I I totally mm-hmm. get that. And we also need to have a culture yes. around this where we are asking questions and having conversations and trying to understand it rather than dismiss it out of hand. Because I think the it's like wishful, magical thinking that's happening in some of the corners of the Internet of like, authors get mad enough people write letters to these ai yeah. companies robots taken down it's like the the fight the bots version of step 3 profit <laughs> and like mm-hmm. that's not how these things work so some recognition of like this is going to have to be a conversation this is going to require us to understand it and to wrestle with it and to consider whether there are some uses that are okay and if so what those uses are and what the unacceptable uses would yeah. be and how we're going to regulate it and all of those things and I think the sooner that folks can accept that and get to a, a place of sort pragmatic more clear eyed looking at it the better off we're all going to be <laughs> in this industry yeah. and in the world in general as we wrestle with this but the vitriolic stuff has to go <laughs>
1: And it could be well be the case, and it seems like on the plane, like you, you you're not supposed to pirate books. You're not supposed to steal stuff. So if this guy gets dinged and you know right. goes to jail for for grand theft or whatever, that seems very much in the law. But I think that is missing the forest for the trees, as you said, mm-hmm. because if he had bought these legally or sc- bought them all as hardcovers and scanned them in, like the Google Books project, which by the way was declared transformative use, mm-hmm. if people remember we're still having the same core issue is the same, but the language is getting out of the way about being stolen. Cause we just don't know is because if I read, you know, writers often say, and I've interviewed a lot of them about their reading, how their reading has influenced their writing. Are you stealing for Stephen King? If you read a bunch of Stephen King books and then wrote in the style of Stephen King, I think most people would say, no, is it different? And how different is it that it gets fed into an AI that can quote unquote read and process that is a new thing under the sun, right. and I think it is okay to be unsure about what yes. you think about that. I just yeah. do. I just do think it's okay.
2: I think so, and I think if you're certain this soon in any issue, you're pretty likely to be wrong on some vector. Um,
1: yeah, or at least you're you're making a big bet early in the yes. football game when you yeah. can, you know, there's much to be determined about who's playing and what the right. rules are going to be. But these
2: are, All right. these just are questions. They're not going away.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, we could have easily, let's take another sponsor break and, and our, our last one here before we mm-hmm. move on. We could have easily started with this story. And I feel like maybe four years ago, we would have Oh, actually, okay. right? Don't mm-hmm. you think that mm-hmm. the FTC in 17 states suing Amazon for broad <laughs> abuses of monopolistic powers? I mean, I thought it was weird how this wasn't even a bigger yeah, deal, it but does. also I'm doing it too.
2: Right. Yeah, I saw the alert come up on my phone the other evening of like, oh, okay, I guess we're going to have that conversation now. And that was about as far as I thought about it. Like when I (laughs) logged into the company Slack the next morning, I saw you had dropped a note for the editors like this merits, you know, a quick, you know, breaking Mm -hmm. news piece. And I was like, oh, I guess it probably does. (laughs) 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 But it feels like yeah, Amazon's place in the book industry is so much yeah. less of a it's just less of a conversation than we were having about it four or five mm-hmm. or eight years ago. And also that even if this suit is successful, if it results in breaking up Amazon into several smaller companies, um, the individual success of the the big pieces of Amazon will you know, th- it's still so well established. They might not have a technical yeah. monopoly anymore, but they will still be very dominant. So, like th- right. this kind of—that's why it feels like a nothing burger to me. I'm glad we're going to look into this. We should be looking into monopolies. This is what the FTC and the Department of Justice exist for. Um, but yeah, it does feel kind of nothing burgery to me. Where are you at on this?
1: Well, I tried to write something about it for <laughs> today in books, and I didn't didn't writing much because, again, I don't understand the law. I don't understand monopoly. They're not asking to break up Amazon, but for whatever remedy, it's like, I don't even know what's possible here, but that terrain is very difficult for me to navigate. I was just thinking about what would a successful suit look like, or just, a, just playing a thought ex- doing a thought mm-hmm. experiment of like, let's say this wins and material or changes in, to Amazon happen. And let's just keep it to books, right? Because remember, this thing is this thing is a huge. Like it's it's hard to even describe how big Amazon. It's it, the the human mind honestly can't imagine corporations of this size and their warehouses and their infrastructure and their money and everything goes. <laughs> like, but let's their, just keep it to books for a second. Their growth okay. path
2: is so big and fast and accelerated yeah. that within like a decade, if they keep growing the way they're going, they're going to run out of people on the planet to hire. <laughs>
1: I mean, they're getting into large numbers where they literally can't grow <laughs> f- this fast forever because right. you, you, there's not enough atoms right. in the universe
2: literally, there aren't enough people. I've seen this it, stated in places of like this mm-hmm. is a this is a real concern for Amazon in the future is that they will run out of humans on the earth they, that they can have work for them,
1: <laughs> yeah, right. or that will work for them again or anything that goes <laughs> right into that, like that. so let's just keep it to books and it's it's as dominant I think in Dominus books as any market that it operates in, mm-hmm. I think. I would guess, um, if there's another one out there, uh, podcast at bookwrite.com, I'd like to know. So what would real change look like? What would we, you know, they're not going to dissolve Amazon. Right. And, and, you know, that didn't even happen to AT&T and Bell. So it gets broken up. How does it get broken up? Well, one thing that could be broken out is they have to sell Audible. They have to spin out Audible. hmm Does that matter? No. I, I, what, what change, they can't, what, what if they can't sell hardcovers as a loss? Does that matter? I don't know how much they're selling. They can't do Prime. Maybe they can't. They have to spin off the Kindle. I could see them doing that. Like that's that's a detachable piece. That's a Lego blick. That like the Kindle becomes a standalone mm-hmm. business
2: or a Prime Video or you know. The and so stuff, that yeah.
1: maybe Kindle and I could look. I actually kind of believe this honestly, and I'm more of I'm not an Amazon. I'm more of a middle ground person on Amazon than most people in the book industry. Um, it does seem to me a little unfair. And that Amazon has built enough of a market share where they link to their own ebooks and audio books and hardcovers at the same time. And, it, you know, that kind of like when Netscape or, excuse me, um, mm. Microsoft Explorer, Internet Explorer got bundled in with Windows. And that was a thing that the DOJ, was it DOJ? Maybe the FTC, I don't know, said you can't do that anymore. Or you have to allow for me to install Netscape, um, Netscape, yeah. Netscape Navigator. And look how well that turned out, where it made Mark Andreessen billions of dollars, and he's certainly <laughs> been on the side of right from here till the end of time. And, and maybe maybe this is the explanation for the, the malaise reaction, which is I kind of don't believe that much would actually matter at this point. Yeah. The horse is out of the barn, and saying to them, you know, you should have all these horses in this barn, feels like it's not going to matter, but I could be wrong. Yeah. I could be wrong about that.
2: I think that's how I feel about it, like thinking about consumer behavior, yeah. even if they have to spin the back ends of all of these things into separate companies and run them separately, mm-hmm. the like muscle memory of someone who's shopping for a book and is used to typing in Amazon.com or to picking yeah. up their Kindle or opening the Audible app or wanting diapers for their kid and going to Amazon for it. Like that is, it's the consumer behavior that I think really would have to be somehow rewritten to yeah. change Amazon's primacy in our economy. And yeah. it's hard. I, maybe something could do it. It's hard for me to fathom what that thing would be um, that would be, get consumers to, like, to type in, I don't know if they're not using Amazon, walmart.com instead for some of this stuff.
1: Yeah, though now that you say that, maybe I'm more amenable to, again, it wouldn't change it overnight, but I'm thinking in terms of like what competitors could do. And I'm thinking specifically of Bookshop, right? We know they've announced publicly that they're going to get into the ebook space in a more of a integrated way mm-hmm. at Bookshop in, in the spring. If the Kindle button wasn't there on amazon.com, when buying for print books. Do they have a better shot at competing? I think the answer has to be unequivocally yes. Now, is enough of a difference? I don't know, but maybe that's all that can be done now. Maybe Mm -hmm. if you Mm -hmm. can't do the perfect, you do what's right now. And Bookshop has had has had more success than I think anybody would have imagined. Barnes and Noble is stronger today than I thought I would have imagined five or seven years ago. Imagine if the friction was even just a little bit less right. for Barnes and Noble to compete. Now, again, who can bundle and why and what market size you get to have when you get to bundle? I don't know the answers to those either. Those are to be determined. But if suddenly Audible and Kindle are not there on Amazon.com when I'm searching for the Vaster Wilds, maybe that breaks the prime stranglehold that I've just sort of, I'm in or I'm out of the ecosystem. Maybe it breaks it for a lot of people. Maybe I don't know. I, I think it's possible. Yeah. I don't think it's a certainty. No, um, but I think it's more possible than it is today. And maybe that's all it needs to be mm-hmm. done to break. You know, to to loosen the grips of monopoly. So it's interesting to see. I, there was It'd a lot less. To in, I, I'd be. See, and I wouldn't. I don't envy whatever judge gets this case. By the way, <laughs> no like kidding. figure this out. Have fun, <laughs> Lord of my.
2: Just like the largest company in the history of humankind. Good luck.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I was, there's a. Are you watching Only Murders in the Building? Yeah. Or have you been that I, show yes. at all? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's a character now going through the paper shredder, mm-hmm. and I thought of that <laughs> when I was like, "Oh, that's the that's the meme for what the judges or I'm sure it's going to be a, a series of court. the the lawyers are just tickled pink. Amazon's lawyers. I hope they're buying themselves yachts or whatever because you're going to have to go through this. It's going to be it's going to be a long process. It's going to be a hugely expensive process. I assume it'll go to the highest levels that it can possibly go, um, but as much as I tend to be a little more sanguine about Amazon, I do think it warrants legal yes, investigation. Yeah, I, I, do I, agree. Yeah. I, war- I do think that. I think like, it like, works. We got to take
2: like a look this. at it. I'm glad yeah, that we're yeah, taking yeah. a look at it, for sure.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, let's do, yeah, let's do Frontless
2: Foyer. Yeah, before we do Frontless Foyer, I oh, want to sorry. make sure to shout out um, last year, Kelly Jensen and Danica Ellis and a few of our other editors rounded up a bunch of content that we had on the site about how to fight book bans and censorship oh, yes. and produced an ebook out of all of that and you know some other pieces. It's called How to Fight Book Bans and Censorship. And the ebook is available for just $1.99 for Banned Books Week, um, which is October gotcha. 1st through 7th. So you're hearing this on the second or later the rest of this week. It's usually, I think, $2.99 or $3.99. So this is a small discount, but it it is about how to take direct political action, how to show up in your community, basically like what is worth spending your time on and not Mm -hmm. in the fight against book bans and censorship and how to get your head around all of this. It's really wonderful content and incredibly useful and practical. So uh, we'll put a link in the show notes and you can get your little fingers over. um, (laughs) This is a funny dovetail, but it is only available on Amazon. (laughs)
1: Well, and that's it's a great teaching point, right? Because one thing Amazon does for their pub, self-publishing platform is you get a significant higher, a significantly higher cut of the purchase price if it's exclusive to Amazon.
2: Yes, and it's much easier to use than anything. Yeah, I don't else. know if
1: that's monopolistic yeah. or competence. Sometimes those things right. can get conflated in people's minds, but that is that is true. Um, anyway, uh, frontless foyer. Okay. So um, <laughs> you're up, I my the, friend. I, I got to be careful.
2: (laughs) All right. So let me set the scene because I think I know where we're going here. Yes. Last week we were talking, or maybe two weeks ago, at some point recently we were talking about the National Book Awards uh, Mm -hmm. shortlist that includes the new book by... Paul Harding, and several other books that look like MFA Darlings that we don't think represent what most readers are interested in. And then last week, the Booker Prize finalists were announced, and Paul Harding was one of three Pauls (laughs) to get into that list of six books. Unbelievable. Look (laughs) for Pauls. Not since the (laughs) New
1: Testament has Paul had such a (laughs) great week.
2: Right. Paul Murray, whose book The Bee Sting I loved, is also one of the finalists for that. But um, you told me earlier this week that you read the new Hall. Paul Harding. I suspect that you did that because he showed up on these two lists, and you're doing On both lists. Yeah, you're doing some yep. like what's what's up with Paul Harding? What's up
1: with Paul Harding? Yep. <laughs>
2: here, so um, how was it?
1: <laughs> well, and the other context here is you and I, and I think are don't we are we going to do some Patreons deep dive on Vasture Wilds? Is that yes, yes, it is. Okay, so I also read Vastor Wilds. I think I read it right. I read it right before, yeah,
2: and I just read um, it last week too.
1: This other Eden. And let us just spoil. It is tremendous.
2: Virtuosic.
1: Tremendous. And you said to me, I don't think I'm telling tales of school, she is one book away Mm -hmm. from taking the Shinsky crown. Yeah, of she greatest will... you know, favorite, most accomplished, whatever.
2: Yes, yeah, I think she's one book away from unseating Colson Whitehead. Whitehead in my like goat of American living American writers, American novelists. Yeah, and
1: so, yeah. we and, and part and I said to you part of it is we know the another Whitehead book is going to be another Carney book. Yeah. Whereas Groff is showing curveballs, sliders, knuckleballs. It's she's all curveballs. All the pitches. Yeah. Well, but, but, or it's like you're expecting a curveball and it's like a, a spitball all of a sudden. Mm, or then it's, yes. or it's actually a flamingo coming at you. <laughs> like you just don't know what you're going to get here. So and it's so good. It, it's executed at such a high level. So,
2: it's incredible. And it's that the Vassar Wilds
1: level. is not on any of. Shut, look. <laughs> so let's start there. First of all, that's a say. travesty. I don't know what to say. I mean, we try very hard to be, you know, quality is subjective taste is subjective there is no right but i am as flabbergasted as i have ever been mm-hmm. on any book list not to see vaster wilds on either the Booker yes. or, or nb and now she could win the pulitzer tomorrow and i wouldn't be shocked and does that make it fine i don't know but i am it's a true accomplishment and i don't have enough good things to say about and it, it, it it is this point. Mm-hmm. do you want to say anything about vaster wilds before i do a little yeah
2: control. it is yes it's amazing it is more flabbergasting to have gone back through the last 10 years of national book awards finalists and realize yeah. that lauren groff made the finals for her last three novels <laughs> for or for fates and furies florida which is a short story collection and for matrix and those are all good books that put the her Vastor on wilds the vaster wilds is better the, the vaster yes, wilds is better like i had this yeah. is why lauren groff is one book away from unseating the goat mm. on my list is that I had the same feeling about Matrix of like, wow, she opened up something totally new and unexpected here. And yeah. honestly, if the Vaster Wilds had just been as good as Matrix or even almost as good as Matrix, I would have been mm. delighted. But it opens up e- something even newer and more interesting and just really masterful and You know, we can quibble about the past years of the NBA, which we're going to do on the Patreon, but that those previous three books, which were also very accomplished, were recognized by making the finalists for the National Book Award. And this one, which I think is unequivocally her greatest accomplishment, (laughs) did not make the finalists is like, I think, a real... It's a it's a real disservice to readers and a real failure to recognize a meaningful accomplishment. I in don't. Fiction. Get, I
1: mean, I get it. I I have to believe these people are operating in good faith, and I, I just don't. I, I don't just, understand. I just don't it. get it. Yeah. I'm not even really interested in like trying to get to the bottom or whatever because who knows? It's just what, a mystery. I, <laughs> it's just find myself shocked. I didn't know I needed a Cormac it, McCarthy Annie Dillard mashup, which it, is what we get yeah, in the vesture Wild. Like feels, I didn't know that was possible,
2: and it feels kind of like. Did those people read the same book I read? like if if we read if we all read this book, how can we not be talking? How can we not all be talking about yeah. this as like the accomplishment that we've seen of this year so far?
1: and then and so then I read this other Eden by Paul Harding. And it is not offensive. I'm not saying it's a crime against literature, but it is it kind of feels to me like it puts the mid and mid list. Mm. It just, it's very, it's 272 pages, which you're going to say, Jeff, don't you always say, but yes. <laughs> but it feels underbaked. So, and it's a historical story, and I haven't looked. I'm assuming it's based on a real story of a group of people um, of mixed races from different places living off this sort of unincorporated island called Apple Island, I think off the coast of Maine. And he he's telling their story but it feels underbaked. It feels half-hearted. The characterization is very weak, in my estimation. There's a lot of these stories out there now, and I think into good. But I'm looking at the in the Upper Country by Kai Thomas. I think is a much better book that mm. does something similar of finding an under-examined corner of American racial history, and then trying to reclaim it. And I just don't think this is a very compelling version of that. There's so many of these that you you know the the the, the bar is pretty high. And I just don't think it's that. I don't think it's successful on on several levels. And to see it doubly noted when there's other books that could like it's the fraud is 10 times <laughs> more interesting. Yes. Ina Mathis's is the unsettled. Time just started already. I'm like, this is so much more interesting. So I don't I don't know what this is. Again, both of these things. I guess I don't know about awards. I guess maybe I don't know what people are looking for. Do people read these books? I haven't read all the books on here, but I can tell you one to one, the Vaster Wiles is not in the same league. Or I'll put it the other way. I mean, that's usually say that one, but like yeah. they're not in the same league. They're, I I just can't I just can't get around it. And I know there is subjectivity in this, but it's it's surprising to me that this book is on. Two lists of all, really, basically all Anglophone writing of last year. Yeah. And I, I just, I'm, I don't know what to say. I'm very, very surprised. I'm disappointed. Um, and it's, again, I'm not saying that Paul Harding's book is bad, but when we're talking about the five, mm-hmm. and I've read enough, and I, the, the, the kind <laughs> thing I said to you was like, it's not one of the best five novels of the year. It's not even one of the five, five best novels I read last week. And that's true.
2: Yeah. Are you sad that you've already used the word gormless on this podcast this year?
1: Well, listen, the Midnight Library, and thank you for the people writing in to say, yes, I agree with you or no, I don't. Like, that's an opinion, whatever. I think I like this better than that book because, but it it is its own kind of, it just doesn't do much. It doesn't do much. It relies so much on the story that, I think, again, I don't know if it's true. It's either true or it's not. But I just don't know that it's add much. It doesn't, I don't see what's there. I don't see what other people are seeing. I I just don't. I just don't see what other people are seeing. Um, And to see the Vaster Wilds again, Lauren Groff is going to be fine. Yeah. It's like, there's no, she's going to be fine. But like, my confusion about what these lists are is only heightened today, (laughs) having read two new books, one on, one off.
2: I think it helps me zero in on. This feeling that the thing, like the thing that I want for books, or a thing I want for books, is for writers who are doing excellent work mm-hmm. to be able to also be popular. And Lauren Groff has done that. Fates and Furies was huge. Mm-hmm. I assume that, you know, her short story collection probably didn't sell as many copies as Fates no, and Furies did. They never do. They can right.
1: unless you're interpreter of and, maladies. They just right. don't.
2: And Matrix is a weirder book and The Vaster Wilds is a weirder book, but she is moving units and this kind of solidifies the feeling for me that the literary writers who manage to break out and also be popular and commercially successful are kind of being dinged for it by some of the prize committees and I can understand a thought process that might help a prize committee arrive at that place of like let's give some attention to someone else but if the job is to recognize the best literary work of the year then the writer's commercial success or not should be off the table for consideration. Shouldn't be in the room. And we don't know for sure that that's what's happening here, but it certainly feels like that's possible with what's going on with Lauren Groff. And also with Zadie Smith, the fraud is masterful and wonderful. And we had a great time talking about it last week. And I'm not seeing that on any of these lists so far. Um, It's asking big, interesting questions. It's tangly. She's popular too. And if books are fighting for relevance in our culture, and they are, we're not doing ourselves any favors if we ignore the ones that manage to do both. It's really uh, quite a feat to do both, to be a great literary writer well, and to manage that's commercial the thing success.
1: It's so frustrating. And if I, you know, because I was thinking, okay, I'm going to read some of the things that appear on both. And you know what? If they are. I'm, I'm just trying to think some independent darling that, you know, was in, you know, that, that was really experimental and should have been recognized. And it's, you know, I don't have to say it's that much better, but it's like really special and unique yeah. in its own way. I'd be like, okay, fine. great. Then if you great, then at least we're solving for X. I don't even feel like we're following tracks because I feel like The Vastor Wilds is kind of like The Godfather. You get both. Mm-hmm, you get right. something you that do. will you sell and people will turn page and it's a masterwork. Like pick up the Easy Wins publishing,
2: <laughs> just pick them up. They're just sitting there. Pick up The <laughs> yes, Vastor yeah. Wilds. What you are we get, doing? You get both. You should get, if you manage to do both, you should get yeah. the brass ring and the big gold trophy and the, seal, the beautiful seal sticker thing. On your book to let people know from now until kingdom come that you did the thing like Lauren Groff has done the thing. And like, you know, Colson Whitehead has also done the thing, but he's got a national book award. right? (laughs) And what is up with that? Like if they're in the same league and I believe that they are and he has had. You know, he's got more books under his belt, and they are of variable commercial success, but he's got commercial success. He had an Amazon adaptation made of that book. You know, he's doing fine, too. Then, Lauren Groff and other writers who are writing at that caliber and managing to be commercially popular we need to be recognizing that we need to be like off the chains excited when a book that is popular yeah. is also really good because we've you and i have also spent the last year like visiting some of the books that are popular thanks to tiktok that are like super not good
1: we've got to pick up the wins when they're handed like <laughs> heaven and earth grocery store is selling it like is. it's still in the top 20 hard what are we doing here because heaven and earth grocery store is not dissimilar from this other eden in several i mean stylistically and tonally it's completely different but like it's a book about a community mm-hmm. of an underappreciated understudied undervalued and st- but it has so much more warmth and yeah. and acknowledgement and character and feels so much more alive um than than this other eden and again you could pick on many it's not it's not that ex- this other eden exists it's that what's being chosen to be validated, valorized mm-hmm. versus what isn't is it feels like I'm, I'm missing something significant. And maybe the simple thing is someone liked this particular book and went to bat for I mean, that's how small these worlds mm-hmm. can be and these judging panels can be. Someone went to bat for one thing or had a demerit against something else. But... But it's a, it's a, sh- all I can say is a shame. It's a, it's I a think real it's a shame. shame. I guess what, and what then gets to happen is that the Vaster Wilds, we get to pretend as an underdog, which is kind of fun.
2: <laughs> which is, but <laughs> how
1: weird. Which is wild. Which is wild <laughs> stuff.
2: It's, yeah. And I'm glad you mentioned James McBride because that makes a nice point of comparison that in 2013, he did win the National Book Award for The Good yeah. Lord Bird, which is a weird work of historical fiction. And he was up against George Saunders for 10th of December, Jumpa Lahiri for The Lowland, mm. Rachel Kushner for The Flamethrowers, which was a huge book that year and Thomas Pynchon and like
1: God, what a lineup that is and, compared to what we have.
2: This right? Time. How much this has changed in ten years? Like that is a lineup. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and you could make Brown? a
1: you could make a lineup like this this year. Yep. I mean, you, there are books out there that if you put them together, like you have Patchett, right? You could do that, and you mm-hmm. could do Patchett, Smith, I mean, I'm now thinking Zadie, Jasmine Ward isn't, isn't on the Yeah, and I don't know. We haven't read Let Us Descend. I have. I have no. I mean. This is the situation where past performance usually is an indicator of future success, but I have no reason to believe anything other than it's going to be a Jesmyn Ward book. Mm -hmm. And now she has the demerit, you know, this time of having a couple Pulitzers under her belt, so. You know there and i'm I, I i am for spreading the wealth around a little bit honestly like i'm I'm very much like let's be strategic about this we want to grow the reading market we want to grow the prominence and placement of books in American culture and wider Anglophone culture. I don't know enough about the rest of the world to know what works there, so I'll, I'll live it there. I'd love to make everyone have everyone be reading more, <laughs> but yeah so and I'm okay with spreading the wealth around a little bit. I understand how that happens and yeah. um it, it's it's so frustrating. So I guess what you're hearing me say is, go check out The Vaster Wilds. Yes. It's <laughs> 270 pages that you can read in one sitting and you probably will want to. Yeah. Um,
2: I had to like meet it tremendous. out to myself and like, oh, I could do this in one sitting, but it's so like substantial in its way that I spread it out over four days and I'm not sad about that.
1: I tried to do that and I got about halfway through and then I'm like, I gotta finish the pizza, <laughs> man. I, th- th- it's just sitting there. My whole life is about how there's uneaten pizza. So let's make, let's get to the end of this.
2: Yeah, I did spend those uh, days like just waiting to get to the part of the day where I was going to read Lauren Groff, yeah, so. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, let's see, anything else? I started um, Land of Milk and Honey by C. Panzang that came oh, out on Tuesday. how is it r- so far? R- it's it's good so far. Um it's, 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 um, attractively strange i'm not sure kind of where i am with my mm. putting on it in terms of what it, the tonality it's it's different which i was expecting a little bit even so yeah um on the listening front continue to i am savoring the gay um i'm mixing it in with my podcast oh, I'm really, yes i'm really like using it I'm, for my late night or early morning walk or something where yeah. it's more of a meditative state than anything i'm
2: else. reading it in hardcover that's ross gay's the book of more delights um and doing like a one essay a morning. I'm going to try to make it last as long as I can. I just yeah. love him. It's wonderful. And then, yeah. So,
1: yeah. Oh, good.
2: Oh, and yeah. And then I had Doppelganger by Naomi Klein, which That's I think it's really excellent. There's a lot to think about, and I think that the st- like she's very leftist, but the stances that she's taking, and this the argument that she's making for the left to engage with criticism mm. that comes from the right and acknowledge the substance in that criticism when there mm. is substance, I think is probably too reasonable for a lot of the readers that she w- wishes to convert. But her, she's an, a really interesting thinker, and I'm very glad to be spending that time with her brain. And for I appreciate a reasonable stance, so I'm into it.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> My listen this week... Um... What it's called the Lego story? It's a history of the the Lego company oh interesting. I like company history you do um you know there it's until I saw that it, it came out a couple of years ago and it's not urgent and it's not like I need to cover it for award winner like that's the kind of thing that's going to be all current in any in any particular way so I just waited for it to come available on libby on my on my phone and I've been listening to it and it's pretty long and it's written by a family member of the Lego company, so take it with a grain of salt. Um, but there aren't many companies that have the stature and longevity of Lego. Like I put it up there with Nike and Disney and Apple as one of the great, great, lowercase Mm -hmm. great, not sort of, I don't know, moralistic, but like an enduring trusted quality brand. Um, and this, this is weird, but so much of its story was because the British patents didn't apply to Denmark, and huh. this this woodworking company <laughs> saw these little bricks that this other british company was making in the emergent field of plastics and they're like let's make those cool and and it worked um and some of it was about you know it intersected interestingly with plastics as a rise a post-war interest in childhood development hmm. um which people didn't really think about in toys as being getting toys you want to be good for your kids, other than just like yo-yos and stuff. Though um, Lego also benefited from a yo-yo craze in Western Europe in the '30s, where they couldn't make yo-yos fast enough. Oh, wow. Kind of the fidget spinner of its day. Remember when fidget spinners? I do. Like the, yes. And like suddenly they were everywhere, and then then you couldn't get rid of them when you had so many of them. Um, tells a story of like going to the post office and it was taking too long because the 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 clerk was yo-yoing while servicing all the mail. It's like that is a weird. <laughs> So, amazing! I mean, I, the thing that always comes to me when I read these business stories like Nike or whatever, it's like, they're very good and they work very hard, but they all catch some weird yes. ass break. Yep. And so many of them catch some weird There's ass so break that you can't and replicate. Yeah. And you're at the right time, the right place, and you have to. So it's like you have to win two lotteries. You have to win the kind of lottery where you're at the right place at the right time, but you also have to win the lottery of like, you know, being the kind of person and having the opportunity and, you know, the know-how and the work hard. But it's like, you know it, it it's it's strange and i find those i find that i can i can find that both reassuring and infuriating all mm. right reassuring that like you know some of it is luck and infuriating cuz like so so much of it can can be luck
2: yeah um, at i've been Listening to Counting the Cost by Jill Duggar, who is one of the hmm. older Duggar daughters from the 19 Kids and Counting family oh. on TLC. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. uh-huh. That is that is the correct sound to make about that. Um, one of the other Duggar daughters, Ginger, had a memoir out either late last year or earlier this year that I listened to that was like, Critical, but not didn't have as many teeth as I really wanted uh, a kid coming out of that experience to have. And then Amazon produced a documentary series about the family and really about the um, church that I'm going to call it that lightly that they're involved, that the parents are involved with, and the um, dangerous abusive practices among that community earlier this year. And I think that took the lid off. Um, But Jill Duggar is she's coming out she's naming names um she does mm-hmm. a really nice job of just telling the stories of the things that happened in her family uh, and in her life being a child reality tv star and letting mm-hmm. those things stand for themselves and then also pointing out when wrongs are done kind of explaining her path to recognizing that this situation she grew up in, believing that it was normal and good um, was actually very damaging and took advantage of her and her siblings in a lot of ways. Um, it feels very like justice for the Duggar kids. Um, and <laughs> I don't know if that's your corner of pop culture, as it's a piece of my corner of pop culture. It's been interesting and validating. I know Kelly Jensen, our, our great colleague, uh, listened to it recently as well, and I'm looking forward to, to talking with her about it. But just FYI, there's a Jill Duggar memoir out there if that's a thing you're interested in and it'll probably scratch the itch that you were hoping the other coverage would scratch
1: <sighs> not, not my cup of tea I'm <laughs> glad interesting getting a you know, chance to get it off her, yeah, her uh, chest
2: raise your children in such a way that they don't have to write a memoir like this
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, bookride.com slash listen you can find the show notes you can find the Patreon at Patreon.com slash Book Podcast. Next week, we're going to be recording the It Books of October. Speaking of things that you and Kelly care about that I'm only mildly interested, <laughs> um, Brittany Cometh. Yep. And was treating us to some knife-related content, I think, as pre-publication... <laughs> uh, um, uh, Marketing? Did you see that?
2: Mm-mm. What was that? No, that, I didn't see she that. She did some
1: TikTok dance where she's in her underwear, like spinning knives. Oh around. boy! It's like I'm, I'm not even in that. Like, I it mean, percolated. It, it got through all of my bubbles that I try to create for myself for celebrity <laughs> dance content.
2: Um, um, by the time we so, record this show next week, we will have the new Jasmine Ward and the new Michael yeah, Lewis in our hot good little hands. Lord. What a day! Yeah, Tuesday's going to be
1: the October It Month. Is it's not as top heavy as September, but it's much deeper. Yeah. Um, I have to figure out a way to construct it that that's interesting for us all. Did you see that story, too, that there's like... I, I, I hate to do this, so maybe I shouldn't, but here we go. <laughs> some rumor that um, 60 Minutes or... some One of the news magazines wanted Brittany to sit down for an interview, but like her handlers are like, that's not going to work. Oh, like, They're not sure that that's going to be great for everyone's experience. So I hope she's okay. Mm. Um, I know she's had her own trouble, and this is back in the spotlight. Oh, boy, yeah. I, I do wonder about this stuff, man, with the memoirs. Like, you really got to... When you're... And again, speaking of things that pierce my celebrity bubble, like the Taylor Swift football player, he's even cheaper. I forget his name, Kelsey.
2: <laughs> Travis Kelsey, yeah.
1: Yeah. It's like, I wouldn't wish that on anyone. No. I was, like, I was thinking about, I was like, oh my God. No. I can't, and even Britney at this level. And then like Bar- Barbara Streisand has a memoir coming out. It's like, boy. Did you see the word count on or the page count on Streisand? No, Streisand's?
2: how long is it?
1: It has a nine.
2: Oh God. <laughs> <first ages. laughs> yeah, that's a level of fame that's probably not, Healthy for anybody. Yeah. I'm glad for people to get to tell their sides of the stories, but the stories themselves are real doozies.
1: Yeah. Well, I'm, I guess what I was thinking about: you need to have your head all the way screwed on. And, and Taylor Swift seems remarkably, from what I can tell, to be as as a master of this as anyone. And I'm just not sure that it doesn't seem like Britney's in a great place mm. to be in this public eye again. I hope. I hope I'm wrong. I hope the rumors are all garbage, misinformation. Um, but it's an interesting month. Um, sure. Tricent in Brittany in one month with tell alls is something for pop, pop music. <laughs> Truly. In the 20th century. All right. Um, check that out. Rebecca, thank you so much. Mm-hmm. We'll talk to you later. Have
2: a good one.